welcome to another episode of the Introspective Fox podcast. I hope everyone has been well. It's been a very busy time for me. I've moved house and I think this is the, the third lockdown since the last podcast. So it's been quite a trying time for everyone uh, in Australia at this point and definitely those in Victoria, New South Wales and Queensland. So... I'm sorry it's taken a long time to get this next episode out, but I'm here now. Uh, We did also record another episode, which unfortunately had some technical issues and the sound quality was awful. So I'm finally here to try again and fingers crossed that this one goes really well. So today I wanted to talk about stress responses. This is not going to be so much about what you can do for stress management as opposed to how we respond to stress and why is it that we find some things more appropriate than other things when it comes to stress responses. So from a physiological perspective, when we get stressed, our body releases different types of hormones and chemicals into our bloodstream in order to prepare us to deal with that stress. Primarily, the body releases adrenaline and cortisone and these kinds of chemicals that get the heart rate pumping. They make you feel really alert. They get you wired for that basic flight or fight response. So as soon as you're ending up in a confronting stressful situation, your body gets ready for you to either fight your way out of it or run your way out of it. So that's not really handy for us anymore now that we're quite evolved. We don't really end up in situations where we have to fight or flight. We're not running into any wild animals. Everything's pretty safe for us, but yet still we get stressed and we still have stress response. So pretty common types of stress response, like I just spoke about with the fight or flight response. Other things that happen are sweating you get a bit shaky, dry mouth. I think those are all pretty, not normal, but culturally accepted forms of stress. And chronic stress leads to greater problems and greater issues within our bodies. So people who are chronically stressed might start to suffer from headaches, fatigue, inability to concentrate, sleep problems, problems with digestion, feeling sick and that awful like butterflies in the stomach. Oh, I really feel like anxiety. I feel stressed. I feel sick. Culturally, it's pretty normal for us to have these kinds of stress responses. If someone is chronically stressed and they're having problems sleeping, we, we, we will offer like people, friends, I don't mean we as like healthcare professionals, although they do as well, but friends will offer moral support. Like you need to relax, try having a bath before bed, try and get in the sleep zone, these kinds of things to try and really encourage better sleep for those who are so stressed that they're having insomnia and inability to sleep. For people who are feeling sick, We tell them, like, eat a little bit, try and take some fruit. It's better to eat something than nothing. Trying to get people to calm themselves down and hold in a little bit of food rather than have nothing. I think culturally we're very supportive of those kinds of things. 
people who are so stressed that they can't concentrate as well, that's understandable still. But where do we draw the lines as a culture about what becomes adequate forms of stress and stress responses and what isn't appropriate in regards to stress response? So for example, I want to talk about things that are a little bit more uncommon when it comes to stress. If someone faints because of stress, we can be pretty supportive as a culture about this, but it really depends on the situation in which the person is in and why they're fainting. So we might say if someone's going to give public speaking, that's okay. If they faint, that's an understandable stressor. Someone's just received a large amount of shock. Maybe a loved one's been in an accident or something. Someone faints. This is still an appropriate amount of stress. But there are people with health issues and mental health issues who cannot tolerate small amounts of stress and have unnaturally large stress responses. And I don't mean that they're not natural responses to stress. I mean that culturally, we don't find those as acceptable responses to stress. So if someone with an anxiety disorder, as our example, who struggles to leave the house and go out and be around people, they're more reserved, they like being alone. If someone like that is pressured to go out of their home situation and they faint, then people don't really take that seriously. People say, oh, they need to get over it. But why is it that that form of stress isn't acceptable and other forms of stress are acceptable? That's kind of what I want everyone to think about with this podcast today. What kind of stress do you have in your life? Have you ever had any uncommon stress responses? And have you been met with reservations from people or have people embraced your unnatural stress response? There's a lot of uncommon stress responses that we don't really talk about. So there's a lot of uncommon stresses that we don't really, uncommon ways of expressing stress that we don't take seriously as a society. We just use the fainting example and as illustrated in that, depending on the situation that the person is fainting in, we're more likely to take it seriously in one situation and less likely to take it seriously in another situation. But the interesting thing about stress is that stress responses can be accumulated through life. So imagine that everyone was born with a blank slate when it comes to stress. So an interesting fact about stress is that it's cumulative. So it can be built up over time. And if it's not processed emotionally correctly, your stress response becomes heightened It's a bit like trauma in that aspect. People who've suffered uh, multiple traumas throughout their life end up a lot more, I'm going to say touchy, but I'm sure you can hear from my tone of voice that I'm using those quotations around it because they're not really touchy. They just have a heightened response to uh, stressful stress because of trauma and they're more likely to react to things that people might find not really stressful or not traumatic, but those who've had a lot of, say, abuse or trauma or got PTSD, they're going to react often 
more reactive than someone who doesn't have that kind of cumulative stress. But there's people out there who can have trauma, who are very resilient, and they process it, and it doesn't become cumulative for them. So I think that's really interesting that some people are like that. I'm not like that. I have cumulative stress. I'm sure I process some, but I do know people who have processed a lot more stress than I seem to be capable of. So an interesting thing about stress is that it's cumulative. And particularly if you do things like suppress your distress, like if you hold it in, so you're not processing that stress, you're not letting it out and you're just managing it. This is particularly common with children who have abusive parents. So instead of being themselves, they learn how to behave so as not to get abused by the the parent. The same can be said for women who are in abusive relationships or maybe men in abusive relationships as well. If you're rearranging your own behaviors and the way you act in order to prevent being attacked by someone that's you're not able to process stress because you don't have the space to do so because you're too busy protecting the other person from stress to protect yourself so this way stress builds up in the body and this needs to be let out and processed the problem is with these kinds of inability to deal with stress is that it impairs your emotional processing and that you have difficulty processing emotions. I want to point out there might be some genetic components to this. People might also just, some people are very empathic, intuitive, and very natural. And it can be seen in children. Some children are like wise beyond their years when it comes to emotional understanding, EQ, Uh, emotional intelligence, that's what I'm looking for. And some kids, they're just so oblivious to other people's cues. And it's not because there's something wrong with them or they don't have some sort of disorder. It's just we're all different and we all deal with things differently. So some people just can't process their emotions well. And like I said, it could be an environmental or a genetic cause. But the inability to process your emotions makes problems within the way that your body organizes itself and impairs connections within the brain and so on. So it makes your stress responses a little bit weird. It means that you you don't end up with normal stress responses because the normal things like increased heart rate, inability to sleep, these kinds of things, once you've passed a point of cumulative stress, you end up having extremely odd stress responses that you don't usually see. But this is where society, I think, doesn't like that kind of response in people because they tend to say, oh, that person's making it up. Because socially, certain things can be stressful, like going for a new job. We anticipate that someone going for a new job interview might have like a bit of like extra sweating happening, butterflies in the stomach, dry mouth, maybe fumbling over their words a little bit, maybe a bit of heart racing just before the interview. All that kind of thing is considered fairly normal. But someone having a panic attack about a new job, that's already like borderline. Why is this person panicking? It's just a job interview. People tend to minimize the amount of stress. 
And if someone was going for a job interview and, you know, went blind, that would be very much, you're making it up, you just don't want to go, there's nothing wrong with your eyes, you're not blind. But the interesting thing is, when you can't process your stress properly, you do end up with a conversion disorder. So you can actually think that you're blind, feel blind, experience blindness, even though your eyes can see. But our culture says that that's a ridiculous response. But is it? I mean, I don't think it is. I think conversion disorders are a serious thing that are under-researched. And we have this mentality in our culture that says you just need to get over yourself or you're just looking for attention. I think that's a really dangerous game that we play because it means that there's these people out here who can't get any help because the conversion disorders aren't treated as a serious thing. So it's not just blindness that might manifest in the conversion disorder. There's a few different things. Obviously, anything that connects to the nervous system. So some people experience blindness, whereas some people experience paralysis. And they do have tests for these things uh, where they might pull up someone's paralyzed arm and see if they hit themselves in the face. And if the person's able to redirect their arm and not hit themselves in the face, then the doctor says, oh, you're just making it up. And (laughs) they fail to realize that it's not that you're making it up, but you're not in control of your brain's programming. It's deciding what's going on. I mean, you're not in control in the sense that if you could process your emotion, if you find a way to cognitively start processing things, eventually things fall into place. You can definitely decrease symptoms, in my opinion. But you're not in control. And if your redirects itself and you don't smack yourself in the face, you're not necessarily making it up. You still might not have control of that arm. If you had control, you'd be able to move it. You wouldn't be paralyzed. But again, like I said, in this culture, we have this idea that people are making it up. So this is what I'm talking about today. Unlikely stress responses and why they occur and why are they not okay. There's a whole bunch of information out there that you can find about conversion disorders, but they're a bit under-researched. So it's, it's a sad thing because there's a lot of people out there who need help, who can't get help. And I would think that research into this area would be beneficial for those before you reach that point. And we could learn more from these extreme examples where people have like really bad cumulative stress. They're at a point where they think their body switched off, like they're blind or they're paralyzed. The thing is though, that like I said, all this research about it, it's all very theoretical. They don't have any good structures about these things of how to treat it. Even those who suffer non-epileptic seizures so they have a seizure disorder like you would see in epilepsy but it's not caused by anything to do with electrical signals in the brain it's just they're seizing as a physical symptom of stress but there's no evidence to suggest that they're actually from stress because it's an under-researched topic you can find some evidence to support it but it's not it's still very niche I think that with these extreme examples like seizures, blindness, paralysis, 
if if that's what it is at the like worst point, there's got to be a middle ground between when it's a normal stress response, an extreme stress response. And I'm sure there's things leading up to it that we could explain if we did look at those who are having the extreme responses. So if we say normal stress response of like, you know, increased heart rate, dry mouth, sweaty palms, this kind of thing, if that's a one and blindness and seizures is a 10, what's nine, eight, seven, six? It doesn't, you you don't just go from having a mild stress response to having an extreme stress response. There's got to be a whole journey in between that people aren't looking at. And the reason it's not getting looked at, in my opinion, is because we don't take these things seriously. I've had friends who for just over small things, they've passed out. And then people go, oh, that he's faking it. He wants attention. What kind of attention are you looking for that you faint like that? Nobody wants that. Nobody wants to seize on the ground for attention. That's crazy. I mean, it's not crazy. I don't like saying that people are crazy. But you get my point. Like, why would you want to live with a debilitating disease? There are people who fake diseases. That's a whole different story right there. There's a whole different board of psychology, psychiatry that covers that kind of thing, or people who do want attention and make others sick, like with Munchausen's. These things happen. But I just think that the the stress is a very interesting aspect of our culture that we don't talk about. I think there's actually a Netflix documentary that covers some things that are similar to this. The disorder is called resignation syndrome, where children of immigrant parents become so hopeless that they end up in this emotionless, speechless state where they're just like lying in bed and they often can't even eat or drink by themselves. And they think that this could be caused by the hopelessness of the condition. I know that there's some people who say that this could just be a scam. They um, are refusing these kinds of things because they want their, they want to get their green status. They want to be allowed to stay in the country. But it's interesting that the children first exhibit symptoms of anxiety and depression, and then they become withdrawn from others and then withdraw into themselves. And then they stop walking, talking, eating, and they just in this persistent state where they're bedridden and they're even incontinent. So you can't say they're making it up because that would be, I don't know, I think that would be difficult to pretend But it's funny that the remission happens after their life circumstances improve. So we have this situation where we see children of immigrants who are like so detached from life and they're so hopeless. So if we attribute their level of hopelessness to some degree of stress, which I think is a pretty large possibility, and they're depressed and stressed and then they end up in this basically catatonic state and we can say that that's a real thing that happens, then we should accept the fact that there's responses to stress that we probably don't even know about. There's probably things happening inside your body or ways that you behave or things that happen to your body that you might not attribute to stress, but they are in fact caused by stress. Just like in the conversion disorders, even a certain amount of muscle weakness 
We talked about people experiencing paralysis as part of their conversion disorder. Isn't it possible that muscle weakness is also attributed to that first? So then you might be trying to get exercise, but you might feel like your legs just aren't strong enough. It doesn't matter what you do. Things aren't really getting better. You've got this chronic issue with not having enough energy and not being able to perform. It could be a psychological problem to deal with your stress. And that once you deal with your stress, you will feel more energized and the muscle weakness will go away. But we don't really look at that kind of thing yet in society. We're more likely to look for physiological problems. And I'm not saying that stress responses don't cause physiological problems because they can and they do. Actually, interestingly, a lot of that problems in the body caused by stress has a lot to do with mindset. And actually, I would want Sebastian to join me on that show and we would talk about that then. That might be the next episode because it continues on from this discussion that we're having here today. And I think that you guys out there would be very interested to hear in that because when I heard about it, I was very shocked. But we'll get into that later. So I think we've covered a fair amount in this episode today in regards to stress responses. And I encourage you all to look up a little bit about conversion disorders and what they are if you haven't heard of them. They're quite interesting. Well, interesting and sad. And some things are interesting about these, like sometimes we can't find a difference between epileptic seizures and conversion disorder seizures. There's people out there who've been diagnosed with epilepsy, have tried every possible treatment, and then the doctors go, oh, actually, we don't think it's epilepsy. We think that you have a conversion disorder, even though your brain scans and EEGs and things like this do point to epilepsy, we've changed our minds because nothing's working. Which makes me wonder about the tests they use in order to diagnose those kinds of conditions, if they can be so easily misread. But I had many of a discussion with people with seizure disorders who don't actually have epilepsy. They were like, the diagnosis was changed during the course of their treatment, which is deeply disturbing. Yeah, if you if you haven't heard of conversion disorders before, look it up. It's very interesting. And think about how stress accumulates in your body if you're unable to process it. And what can you do to like let things out? It seems to be very important that we don't hold on to things. We find adequate ways to express ourselves and our emotional needs to those around us. Even if we don't get the feedback that we want, it's still important to express yourself in a good way that conveys your need. That is healthy. It is unhealthy to expect someone else to support your emotional crisis unless you are seeing a health professional. Counselors and psychologists and social workers have special training in how to listen to your issues and give you appropriate feedback that will enable you to process your emotions properly. Your partner probably doesn't. Your family members might not. Depends what kind of family members you have. But anyway, it's still important that you find a way to express yourself in a healthy manner. And 
be available don't expect them to give you the answer you want to hear so when i'm saying express your emotional need i'm not saying explain yourself don't ever explain yourself that can be a very dangerous thing to do because you'll be stuck in the loop of continuously explaining your need and probably not getting feedback again different with a healthcare professional they're trained to help you and guide you but if you're upset to say this situation is upsetting me not I'm upset because you're not acting in a particular and going on that doesn't work just say you're upset that's enough that's what I'm talking about when it comes to being able to process your emotions obviously if you're in a high traumatic situation if you're in an abusive situation I would not recommend doing things to antagonize that person. I would say get yourself to safety. That's a different type of situation. I feel like I've been talking quite a bit now. I think I'm going to go off and start talking about something else if I keep going on. But I hope you found this at least educational and you got to think about your own stress responses while listening to this I hope you reconsider if you've ever been judgmental about the way someone processes stress there's a lot of ways that stress um, manifests that I didn't cover but I think you guys get the idea it's about being open and receptive and supportive to those around you so even if they're responding in a way that you think is ridiculous they're probably still doing their best because I find generally people don't try and do their worst. They're just doing their best. Sometimes we don't think their best is very good. That's fine. Move on. But don't assume that they're intentionally being bad. That's generally not the case. There's always exceptions though. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Introspective Fox podcast. I hope you have some valuable introspection after this episode and think about stress, how you respond to it, what you could do to process your stress better so that you don't end up accumulating stress in your body, which could lead to unhealthy stress manifestations in your life. Uh, We didn't talk too much spirituality in this episode, but like I said, this was more about cultural perceptions of stress and stress responses, which is a very physical clinical discussion. However, we will talk in the next episode about how we think and feel about stress and how our body responds, which will be more of a spiritual discussion. And as I said, we'll be joined by Sebastian. He always has an interesting perspective on these things from a positive psychological viewpoint, whereas I tend to take a much darker route with these uh, ideas. So I guess light and dark, yin and yang will give you those perspectives. Until the next episode, thank you for joining me today and I hope you have good mental health out there. Please take care of yourselves and each other and I look forward to hearing your feedback. You can drop us a line at the .introspective.fox at gmail.com at our Introspective Fox on Facebook or Instagram. So we look forward to hearing your feedback and until next time, take care. Bye.